I want you to open your Bibles today to the book of James. We've been, uh, <clears throat> in the last couple of weeks, talking about preparing our heart. Let every heart prepare him room. Last week we talked about preparing room for God. Uh, the week before that we talked about God restoring our hearts. We, we, we really dug into what God did through John the Baptist, which he said we, he'd come in the spirit and the power of Elijah to restore the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children of the fathers, to restore and to turn hearts back to God and restore the, uh, the, the hearts of the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous. And that's what he did. He, he in fact, said uh, to the people that were gathered, he said, make straight paths in your heart for him. John had to come to prepare people for Jesus. So often we think that Jesus' message would have been enough, that Jesus could have just plowed, he could have shoveled the driveway out and backed the car out, but he sent John first to do a job. And, 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 and what I want us to be aware of is, is, is when God is sending John the Baptist type revelation, John the Baptist type uh, preparation in our hearts, when is God preparing you for something that, that's not here yet? It's not here yet, but you need to be prepared for it. See, listen, guys, if you're, not, if you're not preparing for something right now, if you're, if you're not expecting something ahead of you, if, if all you're doing is living in the moment, I think you might be missing some really good things. You may not know exactly what you're being prepared for, but, but you've got to have some things that God is pulling you towards. You're not just saying, well, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, and I'll wake up, and it'll be 10 years later. God's pulling me in a direction. He's, he's leading me to something. I might be like Abraham and not know where I'm going, but I know I'm supposed to go somewhere. Now, I'm not talking about having itchy feet where you just don't get settled anywhere, you're not planted anywhere, but I think that God's always causing us to grow, and, and, and a lot of times we think our growth is just merely what we're learning. But you know God wouldn't teach you something that you, you're not going to need, right? He's not teaching you something so you can get your doctrine. He's not teaching you something so that you can just answer all the right questions. He's, he's teaching you something because he's leading you into a new season. He's leading you into new things. And, and, and you're probably, what you're receiving is going to be required at some point in your life. So is God preparing me for something? The answer is yes. You may not know what, but God is preparing you for things. He's always preparing us, right? Unless you're just done your course and you're ready to go die, you're, you're, you're still being prepared for some things. One of the first things that had to happen, we talked about a couple weeks ago, our hearts had to be restored again, made soft again. Then we had to make space in our hearts. It's a big one for us right here in, in North America is making space. We just all pray, God, do a mighty work in me. God, do a mighty work in my city, but we really don't have time for a mighty work of God. We don't want anything. We, we say we want more from God, but where in the world would we put it? Where, where would we, you know, where do we have room in our schedules or my hearts or even our, our, our own emotional capacity for that? So God is enlarging your heart and he's calling us to make room in our hearts. And now today I want to talk to you about strengthening your hearts. This is the last thing we're going to talk about, our hearts being prepared for God, being prepared for what God's doing. But I think God strengthening our hearts is so key because throughout the scripture, you see that uh, there are things that God has prepared for those that love him and uh, he reveals them by his spirit. But one of the things that it says is that we are to, that we would in due season, we will reap what's been promised if we faint not. Uh, there are, you know, Jesus said, don't let your heart fail you. Don't, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart fail you. He said, in the last days, some people's hearts will fail them because of fear. You know, the scripture talks about uh, a heart failing and you miss out on what God's got because you just, you, you fainted, you let back. So what God wants in, in, the, in the preparation is to strengthen your heart to encourage your heart, to, to, to infuse some, something into your heart so that you're not just saying, well, I'm waiting and God, you better come through because my fingers are like, it's like cliffhanger and uh, my fingers are getting tired and I'm about to let go of what you promised. We want to be the kind of people that can say, God, I need strength right now because I'm holding on to your promise. I'm pressing forward to your promise. But I know right now my heart needs strength. I know right now I need the grace of God in my life. James says this. And we're going we're to turn to it right now. 
James seems to go back and forth, and I could be wrong about this, but he seems to go back and forth between talking to, um, because he's really, James, he, he addresses this book straight up uh, to his Jewish brothers. Some, I believe, some who are believers and some who may not be, uh, because he seems to go back and forth talking to people who have uh, straight up robbed their fellow man, um, and then he talks to the people that have been robbed. Do you know what I mean? So it, it, I, I have a hard time reading this thinking he's just talking to the same person the whole time. I think he's talking to a wide group of people. Uh, but there are times where he clearly is talking to believers, clearly. Uh, and, and he tells them to pray for one another, that they may be healed. He tells them to confess their sins to one another and pray for one another. He, he, he tells them, if anyone's sick, call for the elders of the church. So he's not just talking to unsaved people. He's not talking just to uh, uh, Jewish people that are on the, on the verge of believing. There's times where he is straight up talking to you and to me. And there's something here that I, I want us to see in, uh, in the book of James, which is talking about our hearts being strengthened for the coming of the Lord. Uh, the, there's something that pops up in the scripture in the New Testament over and over again, and it's the phrase, the Lord is near. And, and when I hear that, I'm encouraged by that, that phrase, the Lord is near. I, I take that more than one way. I know that when I hear the Lord is near, I first and foremost know that we're not just talking about a time, like he's returning soon. I believe that's part of it. But I also believe that's a proximity thing. He's close, right? The Lord is near, so don't, don't be afraid the Lord is near. But then there's other times where they talk about the coming of the Lord is near. The return of Christ is near. So get ready for it. Don't be discouraged. You know, you know Paul says the, the night's almost done. The day's at hand. So, you know, put off the deeds of darkness and pick up the armor of light. This is something that's over and over through the scripture. And so in James chapter 5, I want you to see this with me, what he says. He says in James 5 and verse 7, Therefore be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. So when's the cutoff? Till he comes. Right. right? If you're giving up before the Lord came back, you're giving up too soon. Be patient. I just want to take a minute and pause. And, and you know, if you, if you are a fan of the New Testament, anybody here a fan of the New Testament? Yeah. <laughs> Good. You probably think it's trivializing it to say I'm a fan. But I, we, I really love both the Old and the New. But if you read the New Testament, you see this, this word patient, Old Testament too, this word patient isn't just saying wait around. Patience is not a passive thing. Patience is not just passively saying, well, I guess, que sera, sera, whatever will happen will happen. Patience has is, is, is got to be in faith. Patience has got to be in hope. Patience is not just waiting for whatever happens. Patience is holding on to something God said would happen. Patience is holding on to what God has promised and not letting go. It's not just waiting around, it's standing firm. Do you know what I mean? It's got some strength to it. It says, therefore be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and the late rains. So the farmer knows what he's waiting for, right? He's not just waiting for a magical event to happen. He's not just saying, well, I don't know how it happens, but mystically, somehow, I'm going to have a crop. He knows what he's waiting for. He's waiting for the early and the late rains. So there are certain rains that you need to get that crop out. You need rain when those seeds are first sown, and you need a different type of rain when it's time for that, just about time for harvest. And he's waiting for both of those things. How many of you guys know that many times our problem is the early rain comes and we want to pull it up right away? We're excited. We finally got some rain. And we pull seed up before it's matured, right? We jump into things God is preparing you for. It's from God. But good fruit out of season is kind of like bad fruit. You know what I'm saying? We're so eager. God, God, I know you put it on my heart to do this. God, I know I'm supposed to do this. God, I know this is what you have for me. And it's, uh, you know, listen, what does the rain signify to you? 
What does, God, what does the, the rain mean to you? I believe it means that there's something from heaven that you need. I believe it's the grace of God towards you. I believe God has provision for you. I believe he has things to, to give you, to pour out for you. And there's a time and a season for it. And when that rain comes, you have everything you need. You're being prepared. You're being anointed. You're being empowered. But that early rain is not the only rain. There's a late rain. There's a, there's a rain at the beginning of your journey of faith, right? There's, there's a rain when God first gives you a promise where he waters that seed. How many of you have experienced that where God's put something on your heart? You know it's from God and he just seems to confirm it through all these people. And in your prayer time, it just explodes in you. And you feel like this insurgence of grace in you to do it. You feel empowered. And yet God's saying, yeah, just wait. I'm going to make this happen. Like Peter said, young men, submit to your elders. Because I know you can't wait to take over the church. I know you can't wait to preach. I know you can't wait to do But he says, he says, hang on. God will exalt you in due time. God will exalt you in due time. So the trick is, is that you receive that rain, because what's that rain supposed to do? God will water the seed he just planted in you so that it'll be firmly established in you. But there is a late rain, and I, I, from what I've studied uh, of Middle East farming, and it's not a lot, but I read a couple things, <laughs> is that the late rain, there's a lot more late rain than there is early rain. It takes a lot more late rain than it takes early rain. That late rain is, 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 is vital, and it's, it's big. It's that late rain that God is saying, now's the time, and here's what you need. He says, the farmer waits for it. They wait for the early, and they wait for the late rain. And then it says, you too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts. Strengthen your hearts. Why do your hearts need to be strong? You, you know, because uh, God could all, he could have come just like a thief in the night to all of us. Couldn't he have. He could have just said, I'm not going to tell anybody. You won't be disappointed. I'll just show up. But he, he always announces things, doesn't he? Yeah. How, how long did he announce the Messiah before the Messiah came? Thousands of years. Thousands of years. Since man first sinned, he was telling them, I'm going to send a redeemer. God always announces and prepares people for something. The book of Amos says that surely the Lord does nothing without first announcing it through the mouths of his prophets. Surely the Lord does nothing without telling you he's going to do it. Now, he may not tell you exactly how he's going to do it, but he, he tells you so that you might be prepared. So if you're just living here thinking, well, whatever God's going to do, God's going to do. It doesn't really matter what I do. He'll do what he wants to do. Then why in the world did he tell you ahead of time? Right? If it doesn't matter what you do, it, it, then it, he wouldn't need to tell you ahead of time. But he is preparing us for something. I, I, going back to the theme of Christmas, let's just think about it. Uh, the shepherds didn't really do much to hear from angels. They didn't really prepare anything. The angels just showed up. But the, all the other people that noticed, all the other people that came to worship Jesus, they were looking for something. And they were looking for something based on what God had said. And they were looking for something based on what God had said, not knowing for sure it'd be in their lifetime, with the exception of Simeon. Most of these people did not know for sure that that promise would come in their lifetime, but they were looking with urgency and waiting with expectation for what God was going to do. You see, Jesus came. That was the most, most heavily announced birth in the history of mankind. I appreciate Tony. I'm sure his parents told everybody eight or nine months before he was born that he was coming. But that wasn't thousands of years of telling us he's coming. Right? Nobody has those announcements. Cut the cake, it's blue inside. Oh, you guys are having a baby? No, it'll be, it'll be 6,000 years. 4,000 years. It's going to be a while. We don't know when it's coming. You know, that, that might be awkward, right? Jesus' birth was announced way, 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 way out. And there had to be a strengthening of people's hearts. Listen, the, the, the gap, the gap between the last great prophet in Israel and the coming of Jesus was a 400-year gap. 400 years since Malachi. That's a long time. 
Now, I've heard people preach it was 400 years of silence. I don't believe God was silent, right? Because we know he's talking to Zechariah. We know he's talking to Simeon. So, uh, so if, if I can just take the, the two people we do hear about before the birth of Christ, if they're getting words from God, I believe that other people are too. I believe that God isn't totally silent. But there has been no major prophet or minor prophet, if you want to say that. No great voice rising up speaking to the nation. In fact, the Bible kind of describes it as a really dark time in their history. In fact, he, he even says in the prophecies, there's going to be a time when it's so dark that people are going to feel like they're living in the land in the shadow of death. And that's when I'm going to come. Sunrise on high is going to visit you. And he's going to guide your feet back into the way of peace. There's a scripture in Isaiah where he says, God looked around, he saw that nobody could save, so he raised up his own right arm. When things got really, really dark, that's when God brought the light. So how do, we, I brought this up a few weeks ago, but how do a couple old people show up at the temple so sure that their Messiah is going to be there? How in the world did they keep their faith for all those years? We think that young people... Young people haven't been as disappointed by life. You know, they, oh, shucks, look at them all full of venom and vigor. They're just all pumped up. But, you know, life will beat that out of you. <laughs> it shouldn't. It shouldn't. There's something to be said. John saying, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him. You've known the father. You've known him. You've seen him. You've, you've experienced him time and time again being faithful. So it's not a bunch of young people that show up at the temple saying we've been waiting for a Savior. It's a bunch of old people who for most of their life have not seen the Savior. They've had a lot more years of not having the Savior than they have of having a Savior. And yet they're still as excited. Something had to strengthen them. He says, you guys need to strengthen your heart because the coming of the Lord is near. Be patient and strengthen your hearts. I just want to tell you what, what comes to me um, the hardest time when you're, when you're holding out for what God's got, got for you, when God's been preparing for you for something, the most difficult time in that journey is the time right before it actually comes. It's difficult. It's difficult because, as you know, I know it's cliche, but the darkest moment at night is when the sun, is right before the sun starts to come up again, right? That's the darkest period of the night is right before the sun comes back. That, that, that most difficult point, that most difficult time to believe is right before. And so there's something that happens. A lot of times we just say, well, we just need to be stronger. We just need to be more optimistic. We need, we need to just kind of get our hopes up. No, you need, you, need, you need strength that doesn't come from you. And I don't want to read you something from 2 Thessalonians. How many of you know that 2 Thessalonians is a book that talks a lot about the coming of the Lord? And it talks about encouraging each other by those words. Encouraging each other that, that Jesus is coming back. Encouraging each other that, that we're going to be there with him. Whether or not we're coming from here or we're coming from there, we're going to meet him in the clouds. And it says in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, He says that, well, I'm going to just read this. He says, finally, breath, oh, I'm, we'll skip down. Second, three, Second Thessalonians 3, verse 4. I'm, I mean chapter 2, I'm sorry. Chapter 2 says this in verse 15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. He later goes on to say that God will establish your heart. That word establish means he'll make it firm. He'll make it so that it won't be back and forth. Here's what he's praying for them. In the moment that they need to be encouraged the most, that Jesus is returning. In the moment they need to be encouraged the most, that my friend who died is not dead forever, that in fact they're coming back with Jesus. 
He says, here's what needs to happen. He says, may God, may God himself, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father. Now, I've said this to you before. A lot of these kind of uh, scriptures, my old way of reading them was just to kind of like read over it quickly and it just became a nice scripture with a bunch of good word soup. You know, it was just all these nice things put together and I just kind of read them all together and read them real fast. Right, so grace, comfort, hope. Grace, comfort, hope, strength, it's all the same thing, right? Basically the same thing. Rather than actually paying attention to each one of these words, I believe it matters that Paul said, I'm not just talking about Jesus, I'm talking about God the Father. I think that matters. I don't think he's just like, you know, Paul is not a junior high kid who's got to have a certain amount of words. <laughs> Did you do that in junior high? You just said the son... You know, you, you, you realize your, your document's not long enough, so you, things, you say things like, by the light of the sun, that glowing orb in the sky, which blesses us with its brightness. You know, you're just trying to stretch it out. Paul's not trying to stretch it out here. I think every one of these words means something to us. He's telling you to pay attention. What's he asking that God's going to do? What's he saying that God's going to do? He says, I'm praying. So when he says may are, that means he's praying this for you. So let's just say, this is one of the things we need to pray for each other. And that's going to come up later. We'll talk about it a little bit later. But I want to tell you, we need to stop being Christians who activate in crisis mode. And we need to start being encouragers before there seems to be any problems. We need to stop reacting and start just doing what the Lord said. How many, you know, so, so often we're encouraging people because we see that they're brokenhearted. We're encouraging people because they seem to be having a hard time. You need to be encouraging people who seem to be doing just fine. Because an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. The Lord told us to do this. And he says, I'm praying, this, this is what I'm praying. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us so everything that God is doing in your heart begins and ends with his love. His love is the foundation for it all. The fact that he loved me, the fact that he loves me, the fact that I'm beloved. If I'm living from that place, that's a good foundation, right? Right? Because it, if you don't, what happens? You go back to what the Israelites said in their tents. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, it said they said in their tents, because God hates us, he brought us out here to die. And because they said that, the Bible says Moses told them, you said they, our brothers made our hearts melt. Listen to that. Our brothers made our hearts melt. Well, how can your brother make your heart melt so easy? I'm just assuming you know some of the words. So listen, if you're new here, let me tell you a story real quick. The Israelites were God's chosen people. They came out of Egypt God brought him through the Red Sea. He brought him, he parted a sea for him. He brought him through the wilderness and he said, I'm going to bring you to a promised land. They got to the edge of the promised land and he said, send 12 people in. They sent 12 people in to spy out the land. Those 12 guys came back, said, it's just like you promised. It's got milk, it's got honey, it's got these big honking, uh, big grapes. Why would I almost say that? Big grapes that we're having to, you know, carry. We need two people to carry them. These big old grapes that, that, that take multiple people to take one cluster of and here we are coming out of the promised land and it's exactly like God promised but we can't go in because it's dangerous because there's giants and there's forts and it says that Moses told the people he read their, he read their mail he said you guys stood there and said our brothers made our hearts melt so we didn't go in either see I asked myself the question is there anybody that can make my heart melt? Is there anybody that could, what could someone say that would turn me from God's promises? And I think this, I think the, nobody really can make your heart melt if your heart's not already in a position where it's already melting. See, when your heart's established, you can have people say all sorts of things to you and it's not going to throw you off. Right? Why did their hearts melt? Moses, Moses, once again, he read their mail. God told him. He said, the reason your heart's melted is because you said in your tents, God hates us. Because they could not believe that God loved them like a firstborn. 
because they still thought of God like they thought of the Egyptians. He's a master. He doesn't love us, but he'll use us. If you start, and I know this sounds simple, but if you start with the revelation that I am greatly loved by God, I have been greatly loved by the Father, I have been, that love was demonstrated brilliantly on the cross. If you start with that revelation, then everything else God builds on, on top of that. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The fact that you have been chosen, you've been called, you've been set apart, therefore you are equipped. You are light in the Lord, so walk as children of light. You are uh, a new creation, so walk as new creation. You have the Spirit of God, so here are the fruit of the Spirit. All of that starts with, I'm loved by God. When you believe that, when you believe that, you can build on top of that. So he says here, here's what you need to believe. That he loved us and he gave us eternal comfort. I've told you about this word comfort before. If you look at this word up, it is not downy, soft, pillow comfort. That's what I felt this morning. I looked at, we looked out the window and we saw the snow. Our T and I hit snooze so many times on our alarm. We, we were excited to get to church, but there was great comfort in that bed, right? There's that, that. But the comfort of God doesn't actually keep you in bed. It actually gets you out of bed. Because the, the word comfort in the New Testament is a Greek word, which, which literally means that someone would come alongside and stand beside you and, 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 and grab onto you. It's the word we use several times. It's used for the Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside and helps us, right? So, so there's this picture of, of God coming alongside and bearing you up and holding you up when you feel like you're going to fall down and giving you strength. That's the kind of comfort we're talking about. So that's not a pillow. That's not a nice Kleenex. That's not, that's not, a, that's not you know, a soft cloud. That is something that's going to put steel back in your spine. He says he has loved us. He has given us eternal comfort, so there's no end to it. And good hope. Give me some of that good hope. Good hope by grace. By grace. Let's stop and pay attention to that word for a minute. Everything you need is by grace. What is grace? Grace, we could spend a whole week meeting together every day, every night for a week and still not capture the fullness of it. But grace is what God gives through Christ for you. It's an empowering. It's him doing what you couldn't do. And often him doing what you couldn't do and he'll do it through you. So the grace of God through our Lord Jesus to save us was we couldn't pay for our own sins, so Jesus did. We couldn't raise ourselves to life, so Jesus did. We couldn't keep the works of the law, so Jesus did. That's grace to, that led to salvation. The Bible tells me that as a pastor, I'm operating in the grace of God right now. See, because I don't have a message for you that I could have just come up with and, and use my best ideas and just say something nice. I'm, I have to say, you know, I have to say what Peter said. Let the one who speaks to the church speak as if God is speaking through him. So I'm relying on Jesus right now. I'm relying on the grace of God. I need him to do his work through me. And you need him to do his work through you. Amen. So if we're talking about being comforted by grace, that's different than just pumping yourself up, pepping yourself up. Do you know what I'm saying? See, some of you guys are real good pep talkers. You're real good mirror preachers. And, you, know, that's the, you know how to do it. You know how to get out there and say, I can do this. You know, oh, I can do this. You know, But that alone has no life in it if it doesn't have the power of God, if it doesn't have the grace of God, doesn't have the word of God. He says he's going to comfort you and give you good hope by grace. Then he says this, comfort, may he comfort. Remember what comfort means. Stand beside you, hold you up. May he comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. May he comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. So here's, here's something I want to give you just some practical advice right now. When you are preparing for something, when God is preparing you for something, that preparation may seem like you're standing still, but you will never stand still. Much like a trainer, uh, much like someone who's training for the Olympics and they're training to, to run the 100 meter. 
They may not be running the race that, that's going to win them the prize. They may not be at the Olympics yet, but every day they're working. Every day there's something going on. Every day they're preparing for that race. It's, it's crazy that they'll spend four years preparing for something that's over in a few seconds. But there's a prize there. God's preparing you, and I believe he's preparing you. Here's, here's our passive mindset sometimes. God, when I feel like I'm fully ready, when I feel like I'm fully prepared, then I'm going to get up and do something with it. But what God is saying is, why don't you just take a step of faith and start doing, what, doing what's in front of you now. And in the process of every good work, I'll strengthen your heart. And in the process of every good word, I'll strengthen your heart. So you got you to gotta say, God has prepared good works for me, right? I don't have to figure them out. He already prepared them for me according to the scripture. He prepared them that I would walk in them. So, all right, here, here I go. What's the good work that's in front of me right now? Well, my dream is that I would um, have a center that would feed thousands of people. Okay, well, you don't have that center right now. And maybe God's saying now's not the time for that big giant center. But can you find two people who need food? Right, right. I can. All right. So, I, I, But I can't do it on my own. Listen, whatever God calls us to do is going to stretch us a little bit. So usually when God tells you to do something, it'll be a little bit beyond what you could do on your own. All right. So I could probably feed one person, but God's saying three. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just put my faith towards this, that Lord, you're going to provide for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy groceries for three people. All right, that's my start. All right, so he's strengthening your heart in every good work. What are you saying with your mouth? Do you know there are good words? And every good work and word. There's good words and there's just really dumb things you should never say. <laughs> right? And a good word is the word of God. When you're, when you're agreeing with him, that's confession. Agreeing with him, saying the same thing as him. I want to read you something as we kind of just come to a finish line here. I want to read you something that, that Paul said to Timothy, which I always come back to. And while we're turning there, I just want to once again bring up Simeon and Anna. Just bring them up again because I love those old people. Well, you're not anywhere close. <laughs> I love you too, but you're not anywhere close. <laughs> The two people that met Jesus in the temple were very old. Yeah. Simeon was an old man who was about to die. His last days on earth were the days where he received the promise from God. So most of his life was waiting for something. In fact, pretty much all his life was waiting for something. Can you imagine spending all your life waiting for something and getting it, and then you're ready to go die? My heart's changed when I talk about living in the promises of God. I used to think living in the promises of God meant living in a place where I'm always, I'm at the fulfillment of all those promises, but that's not what living in the promises means. I mean, you're always living in, the, in, in promises. You're, you're living in the reality that I'm a new creation. You're living in the reality of, of he's done all these things. But you're also living in expectation of the promise, and that's just as much living in God's promises as physically standing in it, because we're people of faith. Amen. Abraham saw Jesus' day and rejoiced. His faith was credited to him as righteousness. Just because he didn't have the promise, didn't, just because he didn't physically see the promise, didn't mean he didn't have the promise. So my life is a life of living in God's promises, even before I see him in front of me. Yes. Simeon lived in the promises of God. And he held on to it. And because of it, at some point in his life, and I'm, I got to think it's, it's got to be somewhere where he's starting to think about his own death. And maybe there's a thought in his head, Simeon, you're just going to die. You've been waited all this time for the Savior, for a Messiah, for the consolation of Israel. But, but buddy, you're going to die. How do you feel spending your whole life waiting for it? And, and the scripture says that the Holy Spirit assured him, you're not going to die until you see salvation. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, you ever have somebody more excited about your kid than you are? That happened to us. Came to church with Moses. We love Moses. We're happy to show him off. But a couple people are like, this is the, this is the child, you know, and they, they Simba pose him, you know, they hold him up. And I'm always like, what are you going to do with him right now? Like, are you, 
Simeon just, I don't know if he asked permission or if he just grabs Jesus. And he grabs him and he says, I, my eyes have now seen the salvation of the Lord. I can die in peace now. Now there's a woman named Anna and it says that every day, for years, every day, she has come to the temple to pray. She's fasted and she's prayed regularly. She, she was widowed years and years and years ago. And she spent the rest of her life just coming to the temple praying. She sees Jesus and she knows he's the Messiah. I've said this a lot of times to you, so pardon me for repeating myself, but most of the time when God does something, most of the crowd just sees a baby and two people see the promise of God. You see, I'm not telling you that God's not going to keep his promise unless you do this. I'm telling you he always keeps his promises. You just might not recognize it. And you might miss it if you're not ready. That's right. Jesus wept over Jerusalem and said, I wish you had been prepared. I wish you, but I wish you had seen the things which made for peace. But now they're going to lay barricades against you. They're going to lay siege against the city because you missed your day of visitation. How can you miss something you've, you've studied all your life? So Anna, she comes and she's waiting for Jesus. She's an old lady in her 80s. She's excited. She waits for Jesus. She finds him. She sees him. She rejoices. Then it says she leaves. She's a prophetess. And she leaves and she goes around telling everybody who's been looking for the salvation of Israel. She tells everybody that's been looking for the Messiah. That tells me that Anna had a group of friends that talked about this a lot. You know, this is why it's so important. The scripture says, don't forsake the assembling of yourself together, but keep on encouraging one another. Even more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. Like I said, encouragement should not be, I notice this person's about to just drive their car off a cliff. Maybe I better tell them some nice things. You, we need to be getting together, encouraging one another regularly. I think that's why an old lady had her heart so strong that she could wait for decades and decades and decades and still come to the temple looking for Jesus, still come to the temple looking for the Messiah because she had people that they're encouraging, they're talking about it. See, the world will tell you, stop getting your hopes up. Don't talk about it. If you talk about God's promises too much, if you talk about it too much, you'll be frustrated. Right? I don't want to think about it because it's not here yet and I'm getting frustrated that it's not here. But true encouragement says it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. We should be speaking these things to one another. And I want to read you something that Paul said that I find great help and comfort from. He wrote to Timothy, and he actually names people that forsook him, which you'd hate to get your name in the book for that reason, hey? Talks about one guy who loved this present world more than, more than he loved God. See, Paul's writing this in a time where it's not easy to follow Jesus. We're going to come into periods of time, guys, where the easiest most logical thing for you to do is to walk the other way. Your heart needs to be strong enough. Your heart needs to be strong enough that you don't need to be buoyed by circumstances. That you don't need a couple of good things to happen for you to stay holding on to Jesus. Your heart needs to be strong enough that when all of your, not all, but a lot of your friends who seem to have their act together walk the other way, that you stay hooked in. Right? Here's the good news. You'll never, ever, ever be standing alone. <clears throat> Paul said that Demas loved this present world and deserted him and went to Thessalonica. He said Crescens went to Galatia. Titus went to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. He asked him to pick up Mark because he's been helpful. It's come to that. It's gotten so bad he's asking for Mark. The guy he kicked off his first mission trip. <laughs> nah, I think Mark's come a long way. Then he says this, and, and, and not only that, but the, uh, a man did him much harm. He says in, in 2 Timothy 4.16, at my first defense. So I was on trial here. And Paul's a guy that started a bunch of churches, released a bunch of ministers into the ministry, equipped, fathered. He says, when I went to trial, nobody showed up. 
No one supported me. Nobody stood up and testified on my behalf. I was there by myself. All deserted me. So it wasn't just that, it, it wasn't just like nobody showed up. It was that people deserted, actively went the other way. All deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles may hear and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. And I, I know I've talked about this so many times, but I love that picture of Jesus standing with Paul. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished. When it seems like your race is run, when it seems like you've done all you can do, when it seems like you've got nothing left to give, and you know that Jesus is standing with you and he's strengthening your heart. Your heart needs to be strong for you to finish that last bit. Have you ever seen those marathon runners and they get to the end and you could tell that some of them have this reserve of strength that they haven't tapped into yet. They are completely wiped. They're completely done. And then something happens when they see the finish line. There's something that kind of gives them that extra bit like, I, I'm going to have to do this. Well, when Jesus strengthens you, it's so much better than that because it's not just a last gasp. It's an infusion of strength. He said, the Lord stood with me. I want to tell you something, and this is what you need to hear if you heard nothing else today, is that you can't pep yourself up. You can't strengthen your own heart without the grace of God. He says in the book of Hebrews, there's a lot of strange teaching going around, and it's about food. He said, there's people saying, if you'll eat this food, you'll be stronger, you'll be better. Uh, they're making it about the, whether it be a kosher diet or some other fad thing. They're saying, you know, these, these foods will help you in your spiritual walk. He said, but it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace and not by food. What's he telling you? Your heart needs to be strengthened by grace. That means there's something that God's got that I don't have. But I have through Christ. And without that, I can't finish my race. I need him to go beyond my ability. I need him to infuse me with grace. I need Jesus to strengthen me. And you got to just be honest with yourself. When God called you, he knew you weren't strong enough for this. He called you to something beyond yourself. So you need to know that I I'm standing here, and sometimes you're like Paul going, looking around going, hey, where'd everybody go? I had lots of friends when things were going well. I had lots of people that were saying, we're with you when the crowds were there, but now they're all gone. Who's left? And he says, Jesus is. Jesus stood with me at trial. Can you imagine at that moment him standing before people that want him dead? And I want you to remember that this man is a human. And he has loved and poured out his life for people. He said, I was poor that you could be rich. I was hungry so you could be filled. I went naked so you could be clothed. He laid his life down for people. At the end of the day, none of them show up. Don't tell me that you don't have to deal with some major discouragement. Remember, it was our brothers that made our hearts melt. It's your brothers and sisters, the people closest to you that can really make your heart melt. Paul looks and he sees nobody there. His friends left. His sons left. And at that moment, he has a choice. And he's had this choice before. When he wrote to the Philippians, he said, I don't know if I should stay or should go. It'd be easier for me to go. He says, I'm choosing to stay for your benefit. And at that moment, he's got a choice. Do I let this discouragement, despair, and disappointment about people be bigger to me than the presence of Jesus? He's the same one who said, I know the secret of going without. I know the secret of having much. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In this moment, the presence of Jesus is usually the last thing on your mind, but it's got to be the first thing on your mind. He said, something happened. I looked around and I saw none of my friends. I saw none of my young ministers. I saw none of my old buddies. Nobody was there, but Jesus stood with me. And he strengthened me 
so that I would have the strength, the guts, the courage to say what I needed to say. So that I, that full proclamation would come through me. Then he rescued me out of the mouth of the lion. I can identify on a very small level with this. I've never been in a situation was, that was that bad. I've actually never been in a situation where I felt that everyone deserted me. But I know if I was, that the same comfort and strength that's available to me now would be available to me then. It's in those moments, guys, when there is nothing that you can draw from that you have. No, no pumped up sermon. No power mix of praise and worship. No positive, you know, let's just kind of keep saying nice things. Let's just always look on the bright side of life. There is no bright side left. What's left? Jesus. And he's got grace for you. And he's got strength for you because your heart was made to thrive. And your heart was built as you were built for this. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. He took the old heart and he gave you a new heart. It was a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. And a heart of flesh that his spirit breathed life into. So now he's saying, in your innermost being, be strong in the Lord. The Bible says that you would be strengthened in the inner man. That that's where the strength comes from. That's why he says in Hebrews, stop looking to a nice diet to give you your energy back. Let me tell you, you can have, you go on the good diet, go eat your good food, be healthy, but that's not what you need right now. About, about a year ago, we had a, a, a just a, a, an epidemic of fatigue in our church where we had people that were getting more than enough sleep but were tired all the time. And the Spirit of the Lord said to us, it's not your sleep that's the problem. It's not your job that's the problem. You are spiritually drained. And you need to come back to a place where you're saying, I need to be strengthened by grace again. I, I, need to feast on, I need to feast on grace. I need to feast on the word. I need to feast on the spirit of God. I, I need to get my strength back. And it's not going to be a, a vacation to Hawaii. It won't do it for you. And all the best food in the world won't do it for you. There's something that only Jesus has. And I'm going to tell you that the hardest times in my life have been the times right before the promise came through. The hardest times in my life, the most difficult times were right before something was about to happen. And that's when, the, 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 that's when Ephesians 6 calls it the evil day, when Satan throws every fiery dart he has at you because he's terrified. He's terrified. He's terrified. You guys see the Lord of the Rings? It's okay if you haven't. Like, I'm not telling you you have to. Second movie in Lord of the Rings, there's these two towers. Battle of Helm's Deep. All the good guys are on the wall, right? There's this orc, he comes and he's got this sparkling bomb thing. It's full of gunpowder. And he's running like a football player for the wall. Because this wall is held so far. And the good guys are winning, but the bad guys have a secret weapon. They got a bomb, and they're going to blow a hole in the wall. And this guy starts running for the wall. And the main character, Aragorn, sees him, and he goes, Hey, Legolas, get that guy. And all the archers turn and start shooting at that guy because they know if that guy gets through, forget everybody else. If that guy gets through, it's over. So they all turn and start shooting. There's this scene. He gets hit by an arrow on this shoulder. He gets hit by an elder this shoulder, but he keeps running. And he gets hit again. Oh, and he keeps running. And then at the last second, he dives with the bomb and blows a hole in the wall. So in this story, we're the bad guys. <laughs> Are you okay with that? Because <laughs> I've been... I, 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 I didn't want to identify with the orc. I don't want to identify with that guy, but I identified with him. I know about that moment when you know God, God puts something in your hand that's going to bless, the, bless the nation, it's going to bless your city. You've got to put something in you that, that you've been carrying for so long. But as long as you carried it to the battlefield, nobody was resisting you. 
You carried it around your house, nobody's resisting you. You carry it down the road, nobody's resisting you. It's when the moment comes that you're right before, you're right about to blow a hole in the wall. You're right about to use what God gave you. That's when the enemy stops and they turn their attention towards you and start firing every arrow they've got. And you might need to take one on the shoulder, take one on the other shoulder, but you keep running because there's grace in you to finish your race. God wouldn't have handed you the football if he didn't think you could get over the line. So you've got to, at that point, say, God would not, listen, you've got to say the opposite of what the Israelites said. He did not bring me out this far to take me back. He brought me out to take me in. So I'm in the last stage of the race. Now, your long race is made up of a bunch of tiny races. I'm in the last stage. I am pushing for the promise. And it's been harder these last few weeks, harder these last couple months, harder this last year than it's ever been. So strengthen my heart, God. I need strength to, to not, just, not just to sit in my room and hope that you come through, but to stand in faith and, and say, I, I will not. I would have fainted had I not believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. There's a moment where every bad report that could come out comes out. There's a moment where every fiery dart that could be shot could be shot. But the Bible says that the shield of faith that was given you will quench every fiery dart of the evil one. What's a fiery dart of the enemy? I believe that's, that's coming straight at your head. Those fiery darts, most of the time, are the thoughts and the temptations to quit. Lying to you about who you are, lying to you about whether or not you heard from God to start with. And what quenches that? Positive mindset? A good dose of whatever that Tony guy is that really pumps people up? <laughs> or a shield of faith. See, faith links you to something. Faith is not isolated. Faith is not faith in me or faith in my faith. Faith is faith in God. And it is by faith that we receive grace. So when we have faith, we receive grace. Grace is whatever God, want, God gives you through Jesus. Grace is, is his empowering beyond your power. Grace is his favor that you couldn't earn. Grace is all that he wants to do through you, around you, and for you that you don't deserve, you couldn't do, you don't have the ability, but it far surpasses your ability. It allows you to live like you're supposed to live, live holy, live righteous, live victorious, live persistent and patient. And when I need to be strengthened by grace, his grace is sufficient for me. His power is made perfect in my weakness. So stand there and stand up and say, the Lord stands with me. Stand there and stand up and say, he will rescue me. Stand there and stand up and say, he will strengthen me. He will comfort me. He will empower me, and this may be the hardest stretch I've had, but it's only because I am right near the finish line. Strengthen your hearts. And I want you to just pay attention to that right now. This is the last thing I'm going to say. He says, you strengthen your heart. You strengthen your heart. It's God that's going to do it, but you need to make up your mind that you're going to, you're going to let him do it. You're going, to, you're going to ask him to do it. You're going to trust him for that. It's, it's only God's got the power to strengthen your heart, but you're the one that's got to make the decision. I'm not going to let go of this vital time. And let, you know what? If God's going to strengthen your heart, it's very likely he's going to use people to do it. So don't just be the person that needs to be strengthened. Be the person that goes around strengthening others. Encourage one another even more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. Stand up with me.